0: Welcome to the Exodus Health Center podcast. These seminars are recorded live once every couple of weeks at the Exodus Health Center in Kennesaw, Georgia, where we believe that God needs no help, just no interference. Tonight's workshop is part one of our cancer prevention series, and it's presented by Dr. David Jockers. Now, here's Dr. David. So
1: a lot has changed, right? So I was back in the 1940s, believe it or not. So
0: it was a doctor approved cigarette. That was, that was basically what they had right there. And so, of course, it wasn't until the 60s, 1950s, 1960s, where the Surgeon General came out and they said, well, cigarettes are linked with lung cancer. Before that, though, the reason why that doctors actually, um, actually recommended smoking, believe it or not, the reason why they did that was that they knew that stress was the underlying cause. That's what their you know, hypothesis was that stress, obviously, was an underlying cause, an underlying factor in, in disease processes. And so they recommended smoking to reduce stress. Right, and so of course, you know it does that, but uh, unfortunately, it's also toxic, right? And so this is one of the things that we know is that, you know, every year, you know, science changes, right? There's new medications, new technologies, and we start to apply those, and it's only years later that we really find out some of the effects of those things, right? So does anybody here remember like uh, flumitamide, right? It was a, it was kind of like a, uh, uh, what was it for morning sickness, right? Yeah. Do you remember that, Carol? Right? I don't
1: remember what it was for, but I
0: yeah. So women took it so they wouldn't get, you know, morning sickness, right? When they were, you know, having their, you know, men, when they were pregnant, right, and whatnot. And what ended up happening was children, all these children were born with little, um, with basically no extremities, right? So they basically had no legs and arms, right? And there's a whole group of, ch- of, of people, real live people now that are called the flamidomide children, right? And they were damaged by this medication. Okay, but it wasn't until a couple of years before it came out. Who remembers Vioxx? Anybody? Remember mm-hmm. Vioxx, right? So Vioxx was a number one selling NSAID medication, right? For pain, for chronic pain, um, arthritis, things like that. And it's said to have killed anywhere between 80 to 160,000 people before they pulled it off the market, right? It's bearing holes in people's hearts. So it was on the market for years and years and years before they actually found out the disastrous effects behind it, okay? And what happens is, unfortunately, There's so much money and politics behind it. A lot of the chemical companies, you know, they get involved in this. And, uh, you know, they they want to suppress some truth in order to, uh, you know, to to keep uh, financial control. And, uh, you know, it's an unfortunate thing. But as we go through this, we have to understand about cancer is that this is also a, you know, not only a deadly disease, but unfortunately also a big time business as well. And so, first thing we have to understand is, um, is our culture, right? And that's the mentality behind our culture. So in our culture, we have a certain philosophy and a way of looking at life. And that philosophy is this, is that health is predetermined from basically from the outside in, in a sense, right? That it's predetermined by our genetics, right? So what we were given when we were born, and then also what bacteria, what viruses we were around, right? So if somebody doesn't get sick, they're considered lucky right? So they're just, you know, it's just, you know, lucky, right? It wasn't really a product of something they did. It was more so considered that they just got lucky, right? And when somebody gets sick, they're considered not lucky, right? So they um, they just happen to not have luck, right? And they end up getting sick. And so, you know, the great medical solution, of course, is more drugs, more vaccines, you know, less organs equals less sickness and disease, okay? And so, this is the culture. So when we're watching TV commercials, when we're watching TV in general, right, this is the culture that's speaking to us. So whether we know it or not, we're affected by this, right? Who's ever, wanted, who's ever avoided a public place when you got, you know, the cold because you thought, well, I don't want to pass this on to anybody else who's ever done that, right? Guys, you, do you realize it? That there's really no, there's not really much science behind that that that's really more of a myth than anything, right? That the reality is there's, there's bacteria all over the place in, here, in this room right now. I mean, if you were to look at it under a microscope, there's just massive amounts of bacteria, viruses, all kinds of microbes all around us. We're all exposed to it, right? But the reality is it's the people with the lower immune system, right? The people that are, that, that are susceptible that will catch something, okay, that they'll, they'll, they'll get that, uh, that disorder, right? And so the biggest key is this, is that our body should be adapting and functioning well. But this is our culture, this is what it speaks to us. It speaks from this language that we've gotta run away, we've gotta be scared and avoid sickness and disease, rather than really taking the steps to be proactive to prevent it. And that's really what we're gonna go through and teach tonight. So, all right, so the devastation of cancer. We look at the statistics. Every 30 seconds, someone is diagnosed with cancer. One out of eight, every eight women will develop breast cancer. It's more than ever, right? And so how much money do you think we've raised for breast cancer awareness over the years? Billions, exactly. (laughs) All all together for cancer research, okay, the last three years, we've raised over $2 trillion, okay? But has cancer gotten better or worse? Worse. It's actually gotten worse, right? Statistics say it's gotten worse, right? Right now, 41%, you have a 41%, it's the highest it's ever been, chance of getting cancer during the course of your life. Two out of every five people now will, will end up developing cancer. And so 700,000 people die of cancer every single year. The cancer rate in children has exploded in the last 10 years, one out of every 300 children diagnosed with cancer before the age of 20, okay? And so if it was genetics, you wouldn't see this massive explosion, right? You wouldn't see things like that. And so you look at our our medical system, this is out of Business Week, so this isn't my words or anything. May 29, 2006, they did an article, Business Week, pretty good magazine. They said that our medical system, every single year at that point, Right now, it's even more, costs $2 trillion every year. And this is a a medical doctor, he said this. He said, everything we do is based on rules and traditions, right, not scientific evidence. And they talked about how vested interests play a significant role in the course of treatments and recommendations. This is a common knowledge thing. People in the medical profession know this, right? Um, You know, we all know this, right? Right, Wendy? I mean, you know this. Wendy's a pharmacist, I'm going to have her talk uh, here a little bit later about some of her experiences right? Cancer studies, so look, let's look at this right here. Dr. Jogzi and colleagues, they reviewed cancer studies that were published in procedures journals in 2006. Out of the 1,534 cancer studies identified, 29% had conflicts of interest. And what they showed was that, so this is a little, little cartoon right here. So this says, raise your hand if you have any financial conflicts of interest in this decision, right? And all these people are crossing their fingers. Right? So, the reason why they say that, and they make cartoon jokes about this and stuff like this, I mean, you know, to a degree that I mean, we can joke about this as satire, but at the same time, it's the same, it's the same thing, because a lot of times, it's the leaders of the chemical companies, right? That they're actually taking FDA positions, right? And in fact, if you research the FDA, you'll find that all the leaders of different biotech organizations, of different chemical companies, pharmaceutical companies, you know, things like that, they're, they're literally rotating, they'll, they'll go right to the FDA, they'll hold a position for a couple of years, then they'll be hired by Merck, right? Like for example, the lady that ran the, I think it's CDC, right? For the last 10, 15 years, Kevin, do you know this? Yes. Yeah, right. Like CDC uh, vaccine, Yeah. Um, head researcher got like, vaccine, head, yeah. head at Merck. It was like for like 10 or 15 years, right? Yeah. And, uh, and then she just, she just stepped down, I think it was like 2008, and she got hired for like a $1.5 million contract by Merck. Right. So a company that was making vaccines that she was approving. Right. So you know nothing wrong with getting a nice job, but at the same time, you see. I mean, she was she was probably getting paid like 150,000 by the by the CDC. Right. Huge pay increase right there. So you know there, there may have been something to that. And so cancer studies, So when they were looking at that same study that we looked at, um, they said this. They said the most disturbing part. Was that um, the randomized clinical trials that were supposedly assessed patient survival were found to be more likely to report a survival advantage associated with a medical intervention, right? Such as a drug, a test, um, when there were conflicts of interest were present, right? Mm-hmm. And so the author said, "This is her words." She said that um, uh, she said that trials reported in procedures journals are the basis by which various treatment modalities, including the drugs that get approved for use by clinicians, right? So it's. They look at the prestigious journals like the New England Journal of Medicine, right? Like um, you know, all these top journals, BMJ, British, British Medical Journal, um, you know, you look at all these, these top journals, okay, and those are the key ones that they that they really look at. And here's the problem with this. A lot of times we wanna think naturally that research is not biased, but the reality is somebody's gotta pay the bills of the of New England Journal of Medicine, for example. Somebody's gotta pay their bills too, right? And if you look at the different ads when you're researching that, and I've looked through a lot of journals in my day, um, all the years of schooling and all the research reports I've had to write, and you'll see exactly who um, has an interest in that in that uh, journal, right? And so, you know, if it's a, if it's a medical journal, there's typically drug commercials, literally every you know uh, 20 pages. There's drug commercials. There's commercials for different um, for different medical devices, things like that. Because all these things have a, you know, an incentive in it, and so it's it's just uh, it almost creates almost a, uh, in a sense, almost an impossible situation, right? At on one end, you really want to get the best quality research, but at the other end, you know, there's really no such thing as completely unbiased research. There's always some level of bias as far as what's being published, what's not being published, right? What's being left out? And who's got the uh, who's got their agenda involved in it? So let's look at this antibiotic use in breast cancer. Okay, so antibiotics, you know, back in like 1940s and 1950s, you know, I mean, when, it first, when, when they first discovered penicillin, for example, I mean, as a medical miracle, right? As a complete breakthrough, and I absolutely agree with that. Antibiotics are a medical miracle. They save lives every single day, no doubt about it. However, right, it was considered almost like a magic bullet, right, and so here's what medical doctors had, this great antibiotic, so when somebody come in and they were sick, they wanted to give them some sort of a treatment modality, right? And so, what did they give them? Antibiotics, right? And it became so. Was that was that scientific, or was that a rule of tradition? Tradition. Tradition. tradition? tradition. You guys see that? So here's the thing. For example, children that get ear infections. Okay, the research came out, and it wasn't long ago. It was like 1997. There's conclusive research that came out 1998, 798, somewhere around there. And they, they looked at over 500 studies and they said that antibi- that ear infections, 92% of the time, they're viral in nature, right? So what do antibiotics do for a viral infection? <laughs> Nothing, they actually hurt the immune system even more because they damage the good bacteria in the digestive system. However, right, I still talk to parents left and right and they're saying, yeah, my child had an ear infection, brought him to a doctor, and what did the doctor give him? Yeah. Antibiotics, right, it still happens all the time. You guys see this? I mean, it happens all the time, right? I mean, we know today that cholesterol-lowering medications, right. I mean, it's been all over, Business Week, um, all over, huge magazines, Time Magazine, all these things, talking about how cholesterol lowering medications, statin medications like Lipitor, things like that, that the risk is greater than the benefit, yet what are they still prescribing left and right? Yeah, cholesterol medications, right? So this stuff is going on um, you know, all the time. And so look at this right here in the US, okay, back in 2004, Journal of American Medical Association, they said, in 1995, more than 22.6 million antibiotic prescriptions for non-bacterial acute respiratory infections were in in right? All cases of antibiotics were associated with increased risk of breast cancer, because that's what this was, was looking at. And this is what they said, They right? So when we take antibiotics, it decreases the phytochemical metabolism by the internal microflora. They're finding out more and more about how our internal ecosystem, the microflora, w- which we have 10 times more bacteria in our digestive system than we have cells in our body, right? Unbelievable amounts of bacteria that line all those mucous membranes, right? And it's so critical that we have a healthy balance there. Antibiotics destroy that healthy balance. They damage our phytochemical metabolism. Phytochemicals play an inhibitory role at several points in a carcinogenesis pathway, right? So the pathway of um, uh, basically producing cancer um, by they modulate different enzymes. And so the use of tetracycline, right, which is an antibiotic, may be associated with increased production of prostaglandin E2. And so that is an inflammatory molecule, right? And is chronic inflammation in our body good or bad? Bad, right? So antibiotics, what they do is they swing us, they shunt our body into an inflammatory metabolism, right? So it pushes us into a chronic inflammatory state. and when we continue to use antibiotics year after year after year, right, we're creating a response, a chronic inflammatory response in our body, severely damaging our system. And so, antibiotics and breast cancer, let's keep going, right? So inflammation plays a role in breast cancer carcinogenesis, like, like uh, we were mentioning there, right? And so when the immune system's out of balance, chronic inflammation can produce DNA damage via reactive oxygen species. So these sort the of free radicals, right? Most of you guys, free radicals, unpaired electron, they damage cell membranes, and they damage DNA, they mutate DNA, you get enough mutated DNA and they're replicating out of control, what do you end up having? A cancer, a tumor, right? Exactly, this is what happens. And so let's look at this, baby aspirin, who was ever told right, that taking an aspirin a day would be good for you, right? Probably, probably a lot of us, right? And so let's look at this. Journal of National Cancer Institute, um, June of 2005, they said women who took ibuprofen daily for at least five years were about 50% more likely to be diagnosed with breast cancer than those who did not take the drug regularly. Women who took aspirin daily for at least five years were 81% more likely to develop breast cancer, right? That, um, because that were not sensitive to hormone, or hormones, estrogen or progesterone, than women who were not regular uh, users of aspirin. So this is what, what's taking place, right? And so still, I still have people coming in my office, right, and their doctor put them on what? And asked for today, right? And so we talked about that in our heart disease workshop too. So let's look at, for example, you know, flu vaccines, things like this, right? So all the different preventative measures that were given in our society. So flu vaccine, okay, this is what they use. Chick embryos are inoculated with influenza viruses, right? So the flu virus which has been cultivated for several weeks. Then they inactivate the influenza virus, right? So they wanna make it present but weak so your body can create an antibody response. That's the goal there, okay? They inactivate it with formaldehyde. So is that good or bad for you? that's really, really toxic, right? That's embalming fluid, right? So I remember in in graduate school, um, I, I, uh, you know, we had to, uh, dissect and, you know, cadavers, you know, dead humans, and, and, and so there were literally people, obviously, that were allergic to formaldehyde, but I remember coming out of those rooms and I would just be dazed, right, because it was formaldehyde all of those people. Oh yeah, exactly. Well, the last thing you'd ever want to put in your body, formaldehyde is a poison, very toxic for your system. That's why it didn't activate the influenza virus, right? And so then it's preserved With thimerosal, right, is that good or bad for you? Bad, right? And so they say they took the mercury out, but chances are, right, they probably haven't. But here's the thing, even if they do, then what do they use? They still have to use a heavy metal. So what's their second alternative? Aluminum, Aluminum, right, is aluminum good or bad for you? Very bad, very toxic. You guys see how this works? Right, if we looked at the ingredients in a vaccine, you would never wanna get any one of those ingredients injected into your system, Any one of them, right? If if somebody came up to you and they said, I've got a little bit of formaldehyde right here, I'm gonna inject this in you. You would be like, you're crazy, right? Yet, this is, we go in, the doctor says, this is gonna help you prevent the flu, and we're like, okay, here we go, roll up the sleeve, shoot me up, right? But the reality is, these things have toxic things that they're putting in our system. We gotta understand, again, this is a rule and a tradition. The way that they find the value of the vaccine, right? Is they look at the antibody response, okay? And do these things create an antibody response? Yeah, they do, okay. But the reality is this: health and the prevention of disease is a lot more than an antibody response, right? It's a lot more than that. It's about purity and sufficiency, not about an antibody response. Your body will produce its own antibodies because that's what God designed it to do when we're to- when we're not toxic pure, and sufficient. So we got to look at. So look at this, the H1M1 flu vaccine, who remembers H1M1, okay? Look at this right here, this guy right here, he's a lung specialist, Wolfgang Woodard, the chairman of the health committee in the German parliament and European council. He said he had a lot of concerns about the H1M1 because he said um, his concerns were the fact that um, they were using cancerous cells from animals um, when they were making this vaccine, right? So they were cultivating it in cancerous cells. The reason why is that cancer cells they replicate faster than regular cells and they wanted to rush this thing to market so they were actually producing cancer cells. He's like, we don't know, you know, if people could have allergic reaction to that. He's like, there's no studies showing how people react when you inject cancer cells, right? No long-term studies showing safety. Listen, do we need studies on that, no. right? No. Do you want a cancer cells injected into your system? No, right? And so, allergic reaction, are you kidding me, right? I'm more concerned about cancer, right, than that, okay, so dangers of chemotherapy, so can, so let's, let's start this off, can chemotherapy save a life in certain circumstances, yes, right, and there are certain cancers that it can, blood-borne cancers that have, that it's shown some level of results with, in fact, three, like leukemia, non Hodgkin's, uh, lymphoma, right, and there's uh, one other one I think that has some level of results with, okay, Um, but the reality is this, It's also kind of a philosophical understanding that you gotta have too, okay? When we look at this, even if chemotherapy destroys the cancer, right, in your body, is the reason why you got cancer, is the reason why because you lacked chemotherapy in your body? No, right, like were you deficient in chemotherapy medications? No, so this is a question we gotta ask ourselves, right? We gotta ask the right questions. The quality of the questions you ask determine the outcomes you have in your life, right? So the doctor wants to give you a flu vaccine is the reason why somebody would get a a flu because they didn't have that vaccine in their body, right? No, I mean, God, so here's the thing, right? God made us pure and sufficient. He made us with everything that we need. We don't need anything from the outside in. We just need a non-toxic, a a pure, non-toxic systems where our body can heal from the inside out, right? Let's look at chemotherapy. Chemotherapy and radiation damage respiratory enzymes. This is really key because we're gonna talk about as we go on, when there's low oxygen content, that creates an environment for cancer to grow, right? So the low, so when it damages respiratory enzymes and healthy cells, now the cells get backed up with lactic acid. Right? And they have to turn from aerobic metabolism into anaerobic metabolism, right without oxygen. The byproduct of anaerobic metabolism, right? Who's ever done a burst? right? And then how do you feel afterwards? A little burn. What is that? Lactic acid, right? And that's a byproduct of anaerobic metabolism. So what happens, we get more of that acidity into the cell, and that damages those cells. Dr. Dan Harper okay, is a chemotherapist. He did a cohort study. That means he did a study on other people in his profession, chemotherapists, oncologists, right? He found that only 9% of oncologists took chemotherapy for their cancers, only 9%. So if only 9% chose to do chemotherapy, what does that tell you? They don't want it done, right? They see people going through this left and right. They're like, not for me, okay? So most cancer patients in this country Die of chemotherapy. This is Dr. Alan Levine, MD, um, wrote a book called The Healing of Cancer. Okay? Well respected guy. Most cancer patients in this country die of chemotherapy. Chemotherapy does not eliminate breast, colon, or lung cancers. This has been documented for over a decade, right? These are the most common cancers. Yet doctors still use chemotherapy for these tumors, right? This is what he talks about. He's like, it's been not well documented, yet um, you know the survival rates are very low. Right, yeah, not, they didn't do anything about it. Despite evidence, or despite widespread use of chemotherapies, breast cancer mortality has not changed in the last 70 years. This is Thomas Dowell, medical doctor of the New England Journal of Medicine, so he's was one of the editors. Okay? Um, as a rough estimate, neurosurgeons do well to cure one in every 1,000 brain cancer patients they operate on. Radiation therapy slows the growth of adult t- tumors, gaining perhaps one month of life and may result in in a cure of only one in 500 to 1,000 patients. This similarly, chemotherapy, despite 30 years of clinical trials, has not resulted in the development of a single drug or drug combination that elicits more than an occasional transient response in primary brain tumors. So they don't have any effect with that with, with brain tumors. Okay, and this is Dr. Robert Burdock, oncologist and professor at the University of Washington Medical School. So, you know, these are real life quotes. These are guys that are, you know, leaders in this, okay? And so you think about this, radiation therapy slows the growth of adult tumors, gaining perhaps one month of life. And so we had a patient, uh, she gave this to me, where was that word, I put that, right over here. So she went through radiation for breast cancer, okay? She gave me the bill for it, okay? How much do you think it cost? 50,000, total total charges, $79,492. Right? But, right? So, so, no, that was the charge. They're hoping the insurance pays $42,684.61. Right? So, this is, you know, this is, um, this is radiation treatment right here, okay? And so, um, is cancer a chief disease? No, in fact, um, Terry, who's not here tonight, but she's, uh, she works for me, she had breast cancer, went through ke- radiation chemotherapy, right? She said it was $150,000 after the, after uh, insurance, she had to go, she had to declare bankruptcy, right? And she went from a stage two to a stage four during that process while she was being treated, right? So she was actually a worse stage. She turned a nap, they said, they, they basically gave up on her. I'll have her give her testimonial here one of these weeks. Um, they, they basically gave up on her, right? They said, well, there's nothing we can do for you. So she started juicing. She started really doing a lot of, all the things that I teach her to do. Right, and she's completely over. She's cancer-free today. Right, yet she had to go bankrupt and go through all of that um, in the process. And so, this is um, this is Charles Huggins, medical doctor, doctor, Nobel Prize winner. This is his quote. He said, "Remember, there are worse things than death. One of them is chemotherapy. Right? Who's ever seen anybody go through chemotherapy? It's not pretty. I mean, I I watched my grandfather go through it." And that was a really huge turning point in my life. I saw him go through that, I said, you know what, I don't want to let anybody suffer like that. And so bottled death, this is what Hubert Humphrey called it, described chemotherapy before he died of bladder cancer. He called it bottled death, okay? And if that's not enough, let's take a look at tumor inhibiting drugs, okay? So these are different drugs that they give you for certain cancers, okay? Now, do you want to come up and, and just explain briefly what you were telling me this morning. So, Wendy's a, a pharmacist, right? Yeah. Uh, just let us know your training real quick. Um,
1: I'm a pharmacist. I've been a pharmacist since 1995, and I work for uh, an insurance company that does Medicaid-managed care. So, we um, see a whole lot of cancer patients, breast and cervical cancer patients. Even if they have other insurance com- insurances, they can get on Medicaid just for having breast or cervical cancer. So, we see those patients every day. Um, the Avastin that's used for lung cancer is what it is. They use it for breast cancer, too. And it only extends survival by two months, if that. And what they're finding is that there's more people that die of heart attacks from taking the Avastin than the people who actually were being saved from the cancer. So the FDA has actually talked about removing the indication for breast cancer, but the manufacturer and all the chemotherapy doctors out there are fighting and not wanting it to be removed because they want to keep using it on the breast cancer
0: patients. Mm-hmm. So it's sad. Yeah, it, it really is. You know, her company is actually they do some great things. They actually reward doctors for not giving antibiotics, right? Mm-hmm. For yeah. for non bacterial infections, right? right? You actually she was telling me she went to this thing and they actually honor doctors and reward them for not doing things that are based on rules and traditions. So, right. you know, do, really good stuff. We're that's right. They're trying to clean up that this whole this whole system, and so. But you, you just look at this right here: colon cancer. Or I'm sorry, uh, col- colar. You know, for pediatric leukemia. Look at this: thirty-four thousand dollars a week, a week for that. Right? You see this stuff? T-cell lymphoma. Right? Thirty thousand dollars a month. Right? I mean, here's the thing, guys. Can you put a price tag on being healthy? No, right? No. Amount of money that you could save by preventing cancer naturally. Is is ridiculous, right? And remember, 41% in our in our population now will get cancer. 41%. Two out of five, right? So what is there like 50, 50 people in this room? That means 20, based on that statistic, right? 20 guys are getting cancer. Some of you guys have already had cancer, right? And so the reality is we gotta understand it's worth our time, our money, our energy, whatever we've gotta do to make sure that we're fit for the mission, right? That, that uh, you know, our body's healing the way it's supposed to, right? We do everything in our power. Ultimately, you know, God's in control. We give him all the, all the, the credit, the glory, and uh, and the control. But the reality is we got to do whatever we possibly can to not end up in this, this situation. So let's look at prevention, right? So, you know, the big, now, you know, the big stir and the big model is preventative medicine, right? So how do we use medicine technology to prevent disease to begin with? So let's look at mammograms, right? So we see the commercials to you know, talk about saving lives, things like this, right? Let's look at mammograms, okay? So this is scientific research on mammograms. Studies done on the benefits of mammograms. That the Lancet, right? Big prestigious journal, found them unconvincing and doing more harm than good. Exposing patients to radiation actually increases women's risk of the cancer. The latest evidence shifts the balance towards harm and away from benefits. This is Dr. Michael Baum of University College in London. Women between the ages of 40 and 49 who have regular mammograms are twice as likely to die from breast cancer as women who are not screened, right? So mammogram equals cancer. Mammograms cannot detect cancer until the tumor has at least four to 10 million cancer cells. So it's not like they really detect it that early, okay? The tumor has to be large enough, okay? And so that's roughly 8 to 15 years of cancer development. So who'd want to sit around and wait 8 to 15 years while something grows in your body before you do anything about your health? No, but people are doing that left and right. They think as long as they're going for their tests, right, they're going to be safe, okay? Four exposures within two years, okay? This is what I was trying to explain yesterday when I was talking to your group, okay? You have this one radiation dose exposure. What that means is that's the maximum limit of radiation exposure that any one individual should get in a year, right? That would be, you know, that would that would basically be all we'd ever want to do, you know, maximum, okay? And obviously we want to get a lot less than that, right? So what they've shown is that four exposures within two years, right, because they do two shots, they do, you know, a lateral and a, uh, and a front, right, when they're doing the mammogram. So they do two exposures every time they do it. So if you were to get it done, right, every year, then that would get you that one rad exposure. That's equivalent to 1,000 chest x-rays. So I take x-rays in my office. So what that means is one of the x-rays that I take in my office, right? Or I'm sorry, one, one series of mammograms is equivalent to 500 x-rays. So if I were just sat there and shot you left and right with x-rays, right? You'd sue me, right? And so, yeah, we'll go in, right? And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll jam her. you know, they'll do mammograms right there, and they'll just radiate us like this, right? So by the time a woman has had 10 mammograms, her risk of having at least one false positive is 49%. So less than one half to 1% of those who get mammograms will turn out to have breast cancer. Right? So um, what they're saying in these studies is that The reality is there's more harm than there is benefit, right? But here's the thing, okay? There's whole huge hospitals with gigantic radiation wings, right? And they make their living off of, guess what? Mammograms, right? And so, you know what? They have strong lobbying power. Medical technology has very, very strong. It's not just pharmaceutical industry. Medical technology power, you know, they have very strong lobbies. When uh, they actually came out, and they were going to knock out, because, you know, it's once you turn 40 as a woman, right, you're suggested to get a mammogram every year. Some of you guys know this, right? They were going to take that out. They were going to say, they were going to try to take the first step, right, and say, okay, we're going to wait till 50 before that happens. And there was a huge uproar, right, huge uproar in the medical profession, right? All these radiologists coming out saying how, you know, that was going to kill people and this and that. And the reality is that the, the lobbying power was too strong, right? So they, they couldn't do that. They're looking for ways to save money on healthcare, right? But you know the lobby if the lobbying power is strong, they're not able to do it. So, anyways, um, this is a little cartoon, right? I, I don't think it's quite like this, but um, you know you can see right here, um, you know detect cancer, cause cancer, right? So <laughs> which one do I push? Usually we just you push, push the both, okay? <laughs> and so mammograms. So as early as 1928 physicians were warned, right, to handle cancerous uh, breasts with care. So tighten off and painful compression of the breast cal- causes lethal spread of malignant cells, right? So they can actually rupture them when they push them against there, right? But, you know, that's kind of the standard of what they, what they typically do, right? So here's a better test, guys. This is a uh, thermography, it's a better test. Um, my opinion, it, it, it detects cancer. A lot of researchers have said it, it detects cancer quicker you right? will find it You know, before a mammogram will. It's non-invasive, okay? However, because of the, the radiologists, right, and the medical lobbies, okay, it's not covered by insurance, right? But you can still get thermography done. Some holistic centers do this. Um, I'm not sure, I think there's some people in Atlanta, right? I know there's a lady in Stone Mountain, a holistic medical doctor who does this, and there's some different people. Safe, easy, pain-free, no radiation exposure. So you can see right here, normal breasts, okay? This is what happens. So what it's looking for is areas of increased metabolic rate. So cancer cells, they replicate faster and they demand more nutrients, right? And more, you know, basically more nutrition is what they're demanding because they're replicating faster. So they're kind of like a, a I always, I always call it like this. It's like a very selfish individual, right? So if you get, you know, enough selfish individuals in the world and it causes massive problems in the world. But when we're all working together, right, good things happen, right? And so this is kind of what, what the same thing with cancer. We get enough cancer cells, enough of these cells that are, um, are, are not decide, deciding not to do what the brain's telling them to do, not to do what their normal function is, but instead they want to eat up all the nutrition, right? They want to eat up basically uh, you know, everything they possibly can and save nothing for anybody else. They want to spread wildly throughout the body um, what happens? We end up getting destruction in the body. It's the same thing, you know, with the world. So it's kind of like a microcosm of the world. So that's the thermography right there. Yeah. Does it detect
1: early, and also do they? Can they do full body?
0: Scans? Yeah, they can. They can do a full body scan. This is non invasive. Use infrared technology, and I mean it doesn't detect it like right away. But once that in- area of increased metabolic rate picks up, that's when it can detect it. So it sees it faster than mammogram sees it. So that's a good thing about it, okay? And so, much better tests to get thermography done, okay? So, human genome project. So this is a big thing. So we're just going to go through a little bit of this history, okay? So this, who's heard of this project? They wanted to map all the the, the entire human genome, and they predicted that there would be 144,000. Um, genetic strains, right, and basically, and if they could figure all of that out, right, all those estimated genes, then they they felt like they could figure out a cure for every cancer, right, a genetic cure, stem cells, things like that. The result, they only found 20,000 genes, right, so they realized, gosh, you know what, it's not what we expected, so that genome, right, the human genome study, right, what it actually showed us was that the environment plays a larger role than just the genetics. And then this whole field of epigenetics came about and it showed that really the cell membrane receptors, the outer layer of the cell, right, which is basically the nervous system of the cell, it, it basically interacts with the environment and it will send messages through enzymes right, and through messenger molecules that send messages down to the DNA and cause de- basically genetic function is determined by the experience that the cell membrane has on the outside. So basically what that lets us know is that disease is this. It's 30% genetics, right? We all have genes, right? In My family, we have cancer. So if I'm not taking care of myself, I pull that genetic switch. But 70% is the environment, right? So it's what we're doing to create that. The great news is this, and Harvard came out with this research, they said our body's self-healing, that we're genetically designed for hundred to one hundred and twenty years of great and amazing life. We're designed for that. Right? You look at some of these um, these tribes that that live you know very holistic um, earth-based lifestyles without all the you know the medical technology, without all the, the different things that we do, and a lot of these people, I mean they don't have cancer, right? they don't have that kind of stuff, right, because they're living closer to nature, and so they're living a closer life as far as that goes, and so the Bible says the same, says we're designed for 100 to 120 years, great and amazing life, so you take a look at this, right, like these cultures right here, Um, like these guys are Hunsins, right here, so in India, and uh, this gentleman right here, he's said to be 114 years old, right, that looks like he's, you know, no medications, no canes, right, no wheelchair, right? Um, doing amazing. Looks like the happiest man alive. Look at all these people. They're all over hundred years old, right? No wheelchairs, no canes, no medications, doing great, right? They're doing great. And so why? Because they're living the, na- they're living a natural life, right? They're staying out of, um, you know, the medical system and they're really living the life they're supposed to. So let's look at healing. Okay. So we are cellular beings. So we're what? Cellular beings, that's right. So we're made up of 75 to 100 trillion cells. In fact, you you literally make 100 billion new cells every single day. So our body's constantly in this never-ending state of healing. So when we're looking at health, we gotta look at that. And the cause of all sickness and all disease, it comes down to when we're toxic or deficient at the cellular level, right? So true health is this, guys. It's when our body is pure and sufficient, right? Disease is when the body is toxic, and deficient. Does that make sense? Right? So we've got to make sure that we're pure, non-toxic, and that we're fully sufficient. Everything that we, our body needs depends on. Right? So we need eight things to function normally and remain healthy. So how many things? Eight. eight. things. So let's go through this. Ingredients for a healthy cell. Number one, nutrients. We've got to have the right nutrients. Oxygen. we got to have water. So the right water. In fact, we got a water workshop coming up early May. We're going to talk about how to alkalize, provide the right water. Sunlight. Okay. Uh, let's see. Rest. Who got, who got some sun this weekend? All right. Awesome. If you got sun, give yourself a round of applause. Woo! Good job, guys. There we go. Detox. We got be detoxing well. We got to have the proper pH, right? And then of course, last but not least, we got to have healthy nerve signals going out to every cell of our body. And so let's go into this. So the incredible cell. So this is a medical researcher right here, Nobel Prize winner, Dr. Alexis Carell, okay and he said this he said the cell is immortal it's merely the fluid in which it floats that degenerates right he says renew this fluid at regular intervals give the cell what it requires for nutrition and as far as we know the pulsation of life can go on forever so he checked it with chicken embryos right he did a lot of different studies with this and he said as long as he kept the environment a lot, environment, healthy, right, the cell would just continue to go on and on, right, and he was using animal cells that were only expected for a certain lifespan, right, and they far outlived that lifespan, okay, and so this is what, what his research said, he said the human body was not designed to fall apart, that's what he said, okay, and so here's, the, here's what we got to look at, so when the fish is sick, what do we do, do we think about throwing an antibiotic in there, no, right? Do we think about maybe a chemotherapy drug, right? Mm -hmm. A vaccine, do we wanna stick a needle in there and jam a vaccine in that fish? No, we don't think about things like that, right? It's all about, first the natural impression is change the water. If your plant is wilted, what do you wanna do? Water, Water. that's usually the first thing we think about, right? Or put it in the sun, right? Get it some sunlight, get it the nutrition, make sure the soil is healthy, right? This is what we gotta look at. So proper pH, we're gonna go into this right here, so. All disease is associated with an acidic environment. So, what kind of an environment? Is. Acidic environment. That's right. So, balanced alkaline acidic relationships are key to true health. So, remember, remember what chemotherapy did, right? It damaged your respiratory enzymes, right? Which shunted the body and shunted those cells into anaerobic metabolism. When our body's chronically in the anaerobic metabolism, we create more what? Acid, right? We create more acid byproducts. Exactly. So let's look at this. Oxygen, so the cause of cancer, this is Otto Warburg, two-time Nobel Prize winner. So this is what he found. He said the cause of cancer is no longer a mystery. He says, we know it occurs whenever any cell is denied 60% of its oxygen requirements, mm-hmm. right? So alkaline tissue is highly oxygenated. Acidic tissue is poorly oxygenated. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna do all of you guys a favor right now. Quick. So everybody stand oh, up with me. Oh, all right. We're gonna get oxygenated right here get yeah, a little, little quick burst. Nobody's going to fall asleep on me tonight. Okay, so here we go. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to work the upper body and the lower body. Okay. All right. So we're going to do squats right here. Okay. So we're going to do what? That's right. We're going to have our hands up over our head like this. And we're just going to go back and we're going to come up and squeeze our butts. Okay, guys ready? We're going to do 20 of them. Here we go. Ready and go. Squeezing what? our butt, our glutes, that's right, good, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, you guys are doing great, keep it up, 11, 12, 13, you get a good squeeze, 14, They're one of our best fat-burning exercises anyway. So we actually enhance the testosterone secretion growth hormone, so we're burning fat, right? So good stuff. Oxygenate our system. Great exercise. So here's what we look at. So acid, right? So we have high amounts of acid, and that can be through our diet. High stress causes acid. Anybody here under stress? <laughs> well, a lot of you guys, right? So stress comes from three different ways. You have emotional stress, which we're all aware of, and that's what we naturally can call stress. However, stress comes in two other ways other than, than emotional stress. Chemical stress, which would occur if we're eating a bad diet, right? Um, if we're, uh, you know, in the middle of Atlanta, you know, on the freeway, right? And we're sucking down air pollution, right? Um, could come from you know, mold toxicity could come from just a number of different things, anything that would cause chemical toxicity, okay? And then you also have physical stress. Physical stress is bad posture, right? It's subluxation in your body. It's, um, you know, a car accident. It's a slip or a fall. All those things. Thank you, Eileen. Good job. All right. So there we go. So physical stress also causes the same thing. All of those things create a hormone called cortisol to be released, mm-hmm. and cortisol increases anaerobic metabolism in our body, Right? So it increases the use of glycogen, of stored sugar, and glucose metabolism, right, through a process called glycolysis, anaerobic metabolism, and what's a byproduct of that? Acid, right? Lactic acid. You guys are all coming becoming biochemists today, right? So there we go. So acid settles in the weakest spots first. So we have some major lymphatic ducts in our body. We actually have two circulatory systems, right? We have our, our you know our bloodstream and then we have our lymphatic system. And so major spots. Right? We've got one down here by our like our solar plexus area, right? So down in this area. And so what are common, so when acid settles there, what are some common cancers that occur down in this area? Bladder cancer, uh, uterine, right? Uterine's really common. Um, you know, ovarian cancer, prostate cancer for men, and colon cancer, right? You guys, you guys see all that? Right? So all of those are different types of cancers. And then right up here are axillary ducts, right? And what kind of cancer? breast cancer you guys see that exactly breast cancer works in there, okay and so by the way this right here this area pancreas spleen right so spleen plays a big role in our immune system right and the pancreas of course that's a common cancer too pancreatic cancer and so let's look at you know god's natural design for for health and well-being and what he desired for us to eat early on in early on in creation so and God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree, and which is the fruit of a tree-yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat, and every beast of the earth, and every fowl of the air, and everything that creepeth upon the earth, whereupon there is life. I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so, right? And so I always you know, remark about this because you think about it. Back in Genesis, how, how long were people living? Uh, like, year, like 500 years, you know, this person was like 700 years old. How, how long, how old were Adam and Eve? Right. Was, how old were they, like 700, 800 when they died, right? So here's the thing, right? So listen, I eat meat, and I don't tell you to have a vegetarian diet, but still, you know, God said, okay, man can eat meat, and then all of a sudden the lifespan went like down, right? So we've got we to gotta think about that, right? So why are plants so important? vital symbiotic relationship, right? So we provide carbon dioxide for them. They provide oxygen for us. We provide nutrition for them through the recycling of our bodies, right? So obviously, when we bury people, right? Um, they provide nutrition for us to assimilate by absorbing sunlight through photosynthesis. And so light is a driving force. The absorption organization of sunlight, the very essence of life, is almost exclusively derived from plants. They are a biological accumulation of light. So really, when we're eating plants, for example, because green, that chlorophyll, right, they've cr- been able to create energy through certain nutrients, right, certain uh, you know, essential minerals, things like that, right, along with the sunlight and the water, right, and they're able to create energy through that. And then when we eat plants, obviously, we're, doing, we're, we're taking it indirectly from them. Mm-hmm. And when we eat meat, what did the meat eat? They, they, they ate some, some level of plants, right? Or something that ate plants, right? Chicken may have eaten worms but what do the worms eat, right? They, they ground, you know, all kinds of stuff. Brass that had been broken down, right? Things like that. So, anyways, let's go to this. So, light equals green equals blood equals flesh. So, really green foods help provide a healthy bloodstream and they are powerful alkalizers. So, for the life of all flesh is in the blood right out of Leviticus, and so you see this right here. Um, When you're looking at a chlorophyll molecule, you have magnesium at the center, right? When you're looking at hemoglobin, right, it's almost particularly like the same molecular structure except you have iron at the center. So it's very energy conserving for our body to switch over the chlorophyll right into hemoglobin, right? And all it needs is, you know, the iron to bind, right? And the iron in there to convert that, okay? And at the same time, one of the most common deficiencies, mineral deficiencies in our society is what? Magnesium, right? And so the green foods provide the best source of magnesium. Magnesium is so key, one of the reasons why, not only is it key for your nervous system, for muscle contractions, for all those things, but it also helps provide the blockade for your blood-brain barrier. When you're deficient in magnesium, that opens up your blood-brain barrier and allows toxins to get across quicker, easier, right? And so it makes you more susceptible to toxicity getting into your brain where it can cause all kinds of massive damage. So chlorophyll and its derivatives are very effective at binding carcinogenic substances as well. So actually purifying our bloodstream, purifying our bodies. So they're very effective at binding number one poly, polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, and so obviously you know that comes from the combustion of fuels. So when you smell like gas, gasoline, right? Um, that's what you're smelling, right? When you're smelling exhaust, that's polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons that were created. Also, we're, and in June we're going to have a healthy barbecue workshop, right? We're actually show you how to barbecue correctly. Who's excited about that? Yeah. And so, cause when we, when our meat, when we're barbecuing, gas is up, guess what we're creating? Polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, right? So then heterocyclic amines as well, bless you, are also produced when we're grilling our foods at really high temperatures as well, right? So we gotta be careful there too, the heterocyclic amines, known, to- known cancer causer. Aflatoxin, this is one of the thing, reasons why I don't recommend eating peanuts. Peanuts are the most um, aflatoxic, Uh, plant, right, basically, that you could eat, right, peanuts, um, uh, wheat, can be as well, right, Uh, you know, barley, so a couple different things like that, okay, and then, uh, of course, other hydrophobic molecules, so, you know, different things that we get from environmental uh, air pollutants and things like that, so the chlorophyll carcinogen complex, much harder for the body absorb so it's swept out in the species, that's important because what that tells you is that Green foods are great at binding to natural the things that would naturally cause cancer and actually expelling it from our system. So very important. So plant-based diet. So the research says this about plant-based diet. So Journal of Urology, 2005. They said intensive lifestyle changes may affect the progression of prostate cancer. The incorporation of plant-based diet inhibited the growth of prostate cancer by almost eight times. Right. So if there was like a drug that inhibited the growth of prostate cancer by eight times, right? Everybody with, every man would probably get it, right? Or especially any man that was diagnosed with prostate cancer. That's way better than they found with any drug. You guys realize that? By far and away than they found with any drug. Just a plant-based diet. Yet why isn't that something that men are getting information about on their yearly checkups, right? We're not getting it. Yeah. I mean, so median survival time with conventional treatment and typical diet is dead in six years, basically, okay? So um, those who rejected conventional treatments and adapted 100%, so I think they were looking at, I have to go back and look at that study one more time, but I think they were looking at you know, people that had a certain stage of cancer, okay? Those who rejected conventional treatments and adapted 100% plant-based diet, lived a maximized living lifestyle. I threw that in there. <laughs> we're all alive 19 years later, okay? Let's hope they live that maximized living lifestyle. But the only thing that they were focusing on there was plant-based diet, okay? And so, you know, that's the reality, right? So just even starting with something like that, incorporating more plants, more vegetables in there shows huge changes. Why is that? Because of antioxidants, right? And so, so obviously the antioxidants are critical, and who got you know, my newsletters, right? So we talked about a lot of those different ones, right? So cruciferous vegetables, indole 3 carbonyl, right? Pulls those excess estrogens out of your system. One of the big things, prostate cancer is typically a hormone, a hormone based cancer, right? Excess estrogens in a male system will end up causing problems like that. Another, you know, breast cancer, oftentimes hormone based, right? Uterine cancers, a lot of these different things. Indole 3 carbonyl, which is found in broccoli and in your, in your cruciferous vegetables, like broccoli collard greens, kale, things like that, binds to estrogen very, very effectively. Binds to toxic forms of estrogen, pulls that out of our system. Where do we get all these toxic forms of estrogen? Okay, Where do we get them? Who's at the toxicity workshop? Where do we get xenoestrogens? Jim, where do we get them? <laughs> Plastics, all right. Plastics, that's one way, right? Household products, right? Female you know, products that we're putting on our bodies. Um, what else, um, microwaves can cause things like that, pesticides, right, all those different things like that, yeah, things that you find in water, Teflon, Teflon. yep, Teflon causes, uh, increase in, uh, in in xenoestrogen, right, when we're cooking on nonstick pans (laughs) that are, that are toxic like that, absolutely, so antioxidants, also cruciferous vegetables, uh, phenyl isothiocyanates, right, so really powerful cancer product, we're going to talk all about that next week. Next week, we're going to talk about the latest research when it comes to natural cancer fighters and how exactly the diet, the the, the focus of the program that we teach here at Maximize Living, how it's detailed and scientifically based to help prevent and reverse cancer processes. So we're going to go into that next week. We've got so much to cover. That's why it's a two-week process. Next thing we're going to look at is our gut, right? So this is our intestine, our large intestine, right? So appendix right there and then the large intestine just like that, okay? This is obviously a sick large intestine right here, showing bacterial infection right here. Okay, you can obviously ulcerative colitis. That's what that looks like right there. Polyps is what that looks like. This is what colon cancer looks like as those cells start to obviously, you know, build up right there, okay? So one of the keys with having a healthy gut, right, is is number one is obviously making sure we have healthy gut bacteria, right? And making sure things are, we have a quick transit time. That's one of the biggest problems with processed foods. It's very, very slow transit time. They get stuck in there, and things start to ferment, and it creates a breeding ground for candida, for for uh, you know just all kinds of opportunistic bacteria. Creates dysbiosis, abnormal bacterial balances, and it causes massive problems in our system. And so, one of the best supplements for preventing cancer, one of the best things you can do is take probiotics, right? And so who takes probiotics in this room? This is beyond just cancer, but obviously for cancer it's important. But on top of that, for your immune system, for your sinuses, for all those different things, it is just critical that we're taking probiotics on a regular basis or eating and or, I should say, eating fermented foods. Because years ago they didn't have, you know, God didn't create, um, you know, Mercola probiotics in the Garden of Eden, right? That wasn't there. It wasn't like he had his own tree. Here's your probiotic tree, right? It wasn't like that. But it was a natural, common knowledge thing that they would ferment their own foods, right? And so it's just common knowledge. In fact, all the longest-lived cultures, when they study them, all these people, one of their key staples is fermented foods. Whether it's kimchi, whether it's um, sauerkrauts, uh, whether it's raw, you know, goat milk yogurts and and kefirs and things like that. Or you know, in Caribbean cultures, oftentimes they use coconut coconut water. Um, coconut water keeper. In fact, you can get that at Whole Foods, one of my favorite drinks, right? Um, I think I drank a whole thing of it in like two days, just Got a couple of days that. ago, right? So I, 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 gallop, I, I gallop this stuff, I just I drink it right out. But I still take probiotic supplements too, really. Keep, keep that gut really healthy and strong. So, really, really key aspect of it. So, definitely want to get our probiotics. And then, of course, you know, this is uh, kind of showing the intestinal wall. Right, and so showing kind of what these good bacteria will do, right? So they're actually this guy's got a shovel right here, right? So he's getting rid of the crud, right? He's he's moving that, right? These guys right here, you know, they're cleaning up. This is called villi. So you have these little pockets right in your intestine. And this is the bloodstream. This is where we absorb nutrition into the bloodstream. It has to get absorbed right in there. These bacteria, not only do they make it more bioavailable, nutrition more bioavailable, but at the same time, they help clean up all the toxins. They help produce B vitamins do all kinds of really helpful stuff. So really key that we're using that. Okay, and then the next supplement, this is our supplement of the day right here, is enzymes. Okay, anybody in here use digestive enzymes? Anybody, a couple of you guys do? So enzymes are really key right? So they improve the digestibility and the bioavailability of nutrition in our body. So they help us, again, you know, get the most bang for our food that we're eating, right? Absorb more nutrition for our food. And so one of the reasons why a lot of people are really hungry, um, you know, in our society is that they're just not, they're malabsorbing, right? They're not absorbing nutrition that's going into their system. So enzymes really, really powerfully help with that. They also help prevent toxicity coming from food, from basically the The byproduct of metabolism, right? So the toxins that come around from that. So they actually help your body use less energy when you're digesting. And that's another key aspect behind that is that you have a couple systems that are competing for energy. So one of those systems, of course, is your immune system. You also have your kinetic system. So our kinetic system is when we're we're up and we're moving, right? So we're up and we're moving. Like like why doesn't everybody stand up real quick? We'll use our kinetic system really quick. Don't worry, we're almost finished here. We're almost finished, okay? This time, guys, we're gonna bring our arms up over our head, we're gonna run in place, and we're gonna punch up, okay? 30 seconds, ready? As fast as you can, and go. Good, guys, you're doing great. Good job. Good job. All right. So, oxygen in that system. We're, we're becoming fat burners. We're switching our metabolism. It's good stuff right there. So, that's one of the systems, right? We've got our kinetic energy system, we've got our immune system, and then we've got our digestive system. And those are the systems, basically, they're all in a sense, they all need energy, right? And they're all kind of competing, So right there when we started burst training, um, some different hormones were released, different neurotransmitters were released. For example, the adrenals shot up, and they they shot up uh, norepinephrine, right, adrenaline, right, get the heart rate up quick, right. So different things are released in our system. We start to dilate our lungs, right, so we can breathe, take, take deeper breaths, stuff like that. One of the things, one of the mechanisms that happens is blood is shunted away from our digestive system. Because you know what our you know our physiology our internal physiology, when Glenn when you were when you were burst training with us here just a second ago, our your internal physiology had no idea if you were running for your life or if you were just running to have fun right. It didn't know, and so there's no need if you're running from you know a saber toothed tiger right. There's no reason to focus on digesting breakfast right. <laughs> You're focused on survival, right? Saving your life. And that's really why we have that system, right? And so it shunts blood away and shuts you know, basically your digestion stops, more or less, right? Also, it's not important for your body to have white blood cells, you know, basically uh, cleaning up, right? Cleaning up problems in a sense. Instead, it puts on something else, right? As killer T cells start to to raise, a different form of your immune system raises, just in case, right, you get bit by that saber-toothed tiger an infection gets in, right? So it can aggregate right to that area. So your immune system actually um, shunts its energy into a different mechanism, okay? And so what happens there is most of our energy goes into our kinetic system and then also into our survival-based immune system rather than more of our preventative immune system. And so that whole process just takes place. Now, here's the thing. Whenever we're under chronic stress, whether again, that's chemical stress, physical stress, emotional stress, our physiology will change and adapt. What enzymes help us do is use less energy with our digestive system, right? And use actually more energy for healing and repair as well as kinetic. That's why sometimes, you know, when your body's really going through a healing crisis, you feel really tired too. You know, you just can't exercise, you feel really tired, you need to sleep, and you don't feel hungry, right? Why is that? Because your body's giving you the sign that says, I need to use as much energy as possible for what? Heal. Healing, right? It's a natural mechanism, right? One of the big keys with really living the, the life God intended for you to live, living out your potential, is listening to your body. Right? I'm, i stand up here, I'm a doctor, I've got a degree, all this stuff, right? But the reality is I can't, you know, I can't give you I can give you good recommendations, right, and a philosophy and help you understand this stuff. But your doc your, your, the greatest doctor in the world is where?
1: It's within, within you,
0: right? It's within your body. And so you'll never get to your peak level of health until you really take time to listen to what the message is that God's given you through your body, right? Listen to your body because everybody's unique. Right? And so you've got to listen to that. And so when it's time to rest, it's time to rest. Right? When it's time to exercise, it's time to exercise. You know, but, but here's the thing, guys. Even if you don't feel like exercising, you know, you're going gonna, to gonna eat the right foods, you know, things like that. But the reality is you still got to listen to your body. And the more and more and more you live this innate lifestyle, the more and more you live this maximized lifestyle, the better and better and better you get at listening to your body. You just get better and better at it. Most of us have lived our whole life not listening to our body. Right? And we've kind of quieted down that those messages. But the biggest thing we can possibly do is listen to our bodies, listen to God, and listen to how he's directing us to heal. Because he'll give us messages. So enzymes are a really powerful um, aspect of that. And so we're going to raffle off some enzymes later on today. Oh, who's going to win these? Yeah, awesome. There we go. All right. So anti-cancer diet. So let's look at this. Adequate, but not excessive calories, right? Because when we eat just excessive amounts of calories, we also create a lot of, um, a lot of stress in our system, right? It's a lot of stress. It will actually use up our, our um, enzymes, right? And it will cause more acidic nature. Ten or more servings of vegetables a day, right? So juicing, things like that, taking greens, foods, green supplements, right? Stuff like that can be really powerful. Four servings of low-glycemic high-fiber fruits, right? So that could be like berries, for example, or you can get that in, you know, your greens powders. You know, they've got berries in there as well. They've got fruits in there as well, right? No refined sugar or flour, right? So obviously we want to stay away from that. Balanced omega-6 to 3 ratio with EPA and DHA, so the high-quality fish oils. Very rich in antioxidants. Phytochemicals, folic acid, and chlorophyll. Beneficial probiotics, right? So that's why I like the Mercola probiotics that we have over there that I showed over here, because they're 66 billion organisms. I recommend when you're getting a probiotic, you get something between 15 and 100 billion, right? Very powerful effect that you'll notice, as opposed to taking, you know, 10 billion, right? There's a there's a substantial change that you notice when you start taking, you know, that that probiotic that we take that we have over here compared to any one of those smaller uh, ones that have a smaller amount. Digestive enzymes. Your body weight in ounces of water, so drinking lots and lots of water, and then just like we talked about last month, those daily detox cycles, right? Giving ourselves that 12-hour break between breakfast and dinner, I'm sorry, between dinner and breakfast, right, where we don't eat, right? So we give ourselves four hours, you know, to, to process our last meal, okay, and then eight hours so our liver can do a full detox cycle, okay? And we should always be, you know, moving our bowels, getting rid of things on a regular basis. Particularly in the morning, okay, and I, you know, I'll just be straight up with you guys. I mean, I, I probably, I probably move my bowels like four times a day, right? And that, you know, that's healthy, right? We should be moving our bowels with basically out as many times as we eat, right? That's really kind of a healthy way to go, okay? And so, exercise, of course, like we did, right? Obviously, huge for a number of reasons. You know, good thing about this diet right here is if you, if you come into this office and you're following what we teach you to do, you go on my shopping tours, all of this kind of stuff, this just is something you start doing, right? I mean, it's just, this is what you do. It's not really a whole lot of new stuff here. It's just what you do when you're living this living life. In fact, your body starts really craving these things and uh, this is what you want. So exercise, of course, for a number of reasons. Um, we wanna increase our oxygen content. Our body gets better at processing oxygen and getting it into cells, really key. Because we can eat the best diet in the world if we're just sitting there. We're sedentary, right? We're inflaming our body, right? And uh, we're not getting enough oxygen in the cells. We have poor oxygen utilization. Um, The lymph flow clears toxins so also getting the lymphatic fluid to be moving. Um, We also increase our our sweat production, getting toxins out, increase our lean body tissue, secrete the right types of hormones, all kinds of stuff like that, so really powerful. And then, of course, getting out in the sunshine. So who got out in the sun this weekend? Give yourself a round of applause. There we go, good job, good job, excellent. Right, so vitamin D, probably the most, probably, I mean, it's been researched, in fact, my mom has got several, she's got published studies, she's a, a naturopath and a, uh, a nurse practitioner, so she's been, um, she's got some studies that were done, this is where her thesis was on vitamin D, okay, and some of the leading experts on vitamin D, they say that, literally, they'll say that 60% of cancer in our society can be prevented if people just optimize their vitamin D levels, just taking that one change alone, right, and it will cost pennies. Yet guess what? We're not doing that, right? People aren't doing that. So it's crazy, crazy stuff, right? So anyways, what is optimum vitamin D levels? Okay, optimum at least minimum 50 to 50 nanograms per milliliter. And really, that should be updated. Okay, we're really looking more like, I, I try to get people in my office, we try to get them up between 70 and 100 nanograms per milliliter, right? That's really where we want it, between 70 and 100 nanograms per milliliter. In fact, you know, you don't have toxicity syndromes until it's been over 150 nanograms per milliliters for a couple years. That's when you start to have that, and that can only come from tons of supplementation. So it is a great test. Well, IUs don't equate to that. However, what happens is this: is that you should be getting tested regularly. You can get a blood test done, your 25-hydroxy vitamin D3 test. You get that done and I'll actually show you exactly what it is so somebody might come in they might be 20 nanograms per milliliter right we got to put them on a lot of I'll start people up 50,000 um, 50,000 international units a day for a month right booster levels up really high and then drop them down to maintenance right that way we get it up really high and then we go back to maintenance which is like five to ten thousand international units a day right? Right, so really what we, what we want to do, the, the kind of vitamin D that I would recommend would be this right here, the liquid dropper. This is the best way to boost your levels quickly, okay? Now, the, the, the approved way of doing this, the best way of doing this, is doing it under some sort of medical supervision, right? So whether it's, you're seeing me, right? I can guard you through this, I've done it a million times, right, or you're seeing you know, a medical doctor and talking to them about it and, and guiding through that. So don't just, um, you know, drink bottles of vitamin D. That's not what you'd want to do. You'd want to do some supervision with this because there can be effects with toxicity. So that's what you want to do. So when you're looking for the right supplement, you want something that will help you boost levels quickly. And ideally you want it in an emulsified form, meaning that it's in a fat form, like an olive oil form, right? And what's great about this liquid dropper is each drop has 2,000 units, right? So it's really the best value vitamin D found and it boosts levels really quickly. And so basically, um, you know, just a couple drops, boom, and you, you get your levels up quickly rather than taking pills and things like that. So you do want something. You do want a mega dose of vitamin D unless you're already exactly where you should be. Okay, and the only way to do that, only way to really fully know is to get the test done, right? So it's a simple test you can get done. You go into your doctor, doctor's office, get your vitamin D checked. Um, my mom, Uh, does blood tests in here every six weeks. She'll be out at the end of the month. She can do vitamin D testing. So if that's something you want to do, we'll talk about it next week, and I'll have a sign-up sheet so you can get your vitamin D tested. Um, If you're not able to do that, maybe financially or whatever it is, talk to me about it, and uh, we'll just make sure that, um, you know, you're taking the right amount so you're not going to overdose. So on top of that, we want to make sure that you're resting effectively too, obviously, right? So poor sleep is poor health. So we gotta make sure we're doing everything in our power to get seven to eight hours of high-quality sleep. That's why when people come into my office and they have chronic insomnia, I get very, very concerned about that. Because if you have chronic insomnia, what does that mean? Yeah, that means you're secreting all kinds of whacked-out hormones. That means you're turning your body into more of a sugar-burning model, right? And that means that you know, you're at a higher risk of getting, getting cancer. You're at a higher risk of getting sickness and disease. Because that, when you sleep, your nervous system and your immune system they, they they increase, right? Their metabolic rate increases, and um, that's when your body gets the best healing and the best cancer prevention and fighting. So really key, that we're sleeping well.
1: Dr. Yes? Speak. Is that eight straight hours? Like I sleep three hours, wake up three hours, wake up two hours, is, is okay, that so equivalent?
0: That's, you know, that's not the best approach. Yeah, the best approach would be, I mean, it, you might wake up, but then fall right back asleep, or you wake up and you go and you do get on the computer. What do you what do you do? Oh, go to the bathroom. Okay, go to the bathroom, go right back to bed. I mean, ideally you want as much sustainable sleep in, a, in consecutively as possible. Okay, that's the best the best way. You might go get up and go to the bathroom. I usually do once at night, right, and go right back to sleep and fall asleep. You know, and you can still get a good quality sleep that way, but the reality is the the, the most amount of uninterrupted sleep as possible is going to be the best for you. Yeah, in that you know, seven to eight hours. Some people might need a little bit more, depending on their healing state, right? How much stress they're under, things like that. But yeah, I mean, you, you, you don't want to. Some people work night shifts and things like that, and uh, you know, just the reality is their lifespan is, is dramatically decreased because it's not a healthy thing. So last but not least, right? We've got to talk about the nerve system. So really, the foundation of health. Right here at the nervous system. You know that God put the most incredible power right there in our brain, our spinal cord. That's what controls everything in our body. If we if we cut the nerve to our heart, what happens to the heart? It dies. We cut the nerve to the colon, what happens to the colon? It dies. We cut the nerve to the to the sinuses and the immune system, what happens there? They die, right? And so instead of cutting those nerves, let's just say those nerves got pinched, or just very small amounts of damage on those nerves. Now, instead of dying quickly, how are the organs dying? Slowly over time, right? Building abnormal normal cells, malfunctioning slowly, right? So the most important thing we can check when it comes to your inborn ability to heal is really how well the very system that God put in your body to control the healing, right, is working. And so... When we're looking at this, this is why you know what we do in the office as far as correcting subluxation, of course, when those bones slip out of position, when there is damage to those nerves, that's subluxation. A deadly disease, it doesn't kill us quickly, kills us slowly, right, over time. But look at this, a body cannot live without nerve supply. When you have vertebral subluxation, your body is robbed of 40 to 60% of its nerve supply. At that rate, studies have shown the cells begin to decay after only two weeks, right? So cells literally will die after two weeks. And so there's an MD right here. So and brain-body connection, so how many two weeks do you guys want to go without making sure that you're free and clear of nerve system? No, nope, You know, absolutely you don't want to do that at all. You don't want cells, any of your cells to start to die. So Dr. Ron Perot, Chief of Cancer Prevention Research at New York's Preventative Medicine Institute, Professor of Medicine and Environmental Health at New York University. He measured 107 individuals who'd received long-term chiropractic care and what he found was that chiropractic patients had a 200% stronger immune function than their control patients. So their control patients were just, you know, people off the street who had, who had never been under chiropractic care, that was one of the keys. The patients that he studied were people who had been under chiropractic care for five years or longer. They had 200% stronger immune function, okay, 400% greater than people who had cancer. Okay, and that's because we know cancer c- thrives in a poor immune system, right, when the immune system's weak, so obviously it goes to show you that. Dr. Ron Pro, he concluded that chiropractic may optimize whatever genetic abilities you have so that you can fully resist serious disease, and that's really the foundation of what we do in our office, what we do as Maximize Living Providers, is really maximize your body's own inborn ability to heal and to function at its highest level, your potential. Everything in this office, everything that I teach in the cancer workshops, everything is about you healing at your potential so you can live out the calling that God had for your life, right? And he had an amazing calling. We've gotta do everything in our power to make sure that we're living at 100%. And so we look at this proleukin, which is a pharmaceutical, right? Produces synthetic, so this, uh, this, this company, Chiron, produces synthetic interleukin, which is a, basically it's an immunoglobin in your body um, for treatments of cancers, cancers like renal cell carcinoma, malignant melanoma. Um, viral infections. Um, it's also used as a booster immune vaccine and an AIDS treatment. So that's a synthetic version. Proleukin costs between eighteen hundred and two thousand dollars a shot. Right. So if you get a shot of that, that's how much it costs. Okay. Um, I'm not familiar with the side effects, but it's it's something that they do like to use, right? I would imagine that your body would produce it as well, right? Because you're you're taking it yeah, artificially. It stimulates. Right? This is what it does, it stimulates T lymphocytes to fight viral and bacterial infections and malignant cells. So T lymphocytes, right, their job is, right, is, is, is to break down any kind of abnormal cell uh, manufacturing that's going on. So one thoracic chiropractic adjustment, the key with the thoracics is the spleen's right in that, in that area. right. One thoracic chiropractic adjustment increases, that's a mid-back area, increases interleukin-1 for two hours afterward, right? Increases at a substantial point, just like this medication, right. So one thoracic adjustment has that same effect, right? Dramatically boosting that. So, serum thiol, what's that? Yeah. with no shot, exactly, you're absolutely right. So serum thiol, surrogate, this is a surrogate test for DNA repair and oxidative stress levels, okay? They look at serum thiol, which is a aging, basically a measure for aging. Okay, patients under chiropractic care between, bless you, between two months to one year, had significantly elevated levels. One to six years of chiropractic wellness care levels were the highest. So they took people of, you know different levels of care. This is what they found. Right. And so, how many of you guys have been under chiropractic care in this office? Right. How many of you guys under chiropractic care have noticed significant changes in your immune system? So a lot of you guys could raise your hand in here, and I can pull up a bunch of testimonials. So I don't have to show you guys these studies. You already know it, right? But now you guys are getting the physiological terms of why that's happening, okay? So when we're looking at this, right, when we're testing this, obviously, how do we test for nerve interference, right? So we actually do these digital nerve scans. NASA approved. They actually do these same tests at NASA on the astronauts, pre and post, really checking them and seeing exactly what's going on in their bodies. And so obviously, when we see color bars like this, is that person healing and adapting well, or what's happening? Yeah. They're getting sick and dying, absolutely, right? And so, as opposed, right here, now that it scan's nice and cleared out, right, body's healing, functioning the way it's supposed to. So we use you know, digital technology to really be able to, to monitor this and graphically look at it and see how well the body's healing. And so, of course, you know, we also use the x-rays. When we see that there's damage in the nerve system, Obviously, we need to look take a look at the spine and really see a picture of it. And so we have this normal, natural curve, right? Then our spinal cord is able to take out its optimal length, able to send that power, healing, and life out to the organs. That's why that's called the arc of life. Okay, now we lose that curve, what happens? Anybody ever take gum before and stretch it? So what happens in the middle when well, we do that? Gets real thin, starts to stretch and tear. Same thing happens to our spinal cord, starts to stretch, Brain stem gets damaged. Out of these two individuals right here, who's healing better? One on the left, right? So who's getting who's developing, who's developing sick first, right? Who's getting cancer first? One. one on the right, exactly. Now, let's say, take this, right? Let's say at this person right here. Okay, let's say they're eating right, exercising. This person's not, who's still getting cancer first? This one right here, because you see, their body's not healing, not detoxing, not functioning the way it's supposed to. They're not getting the right signals to their immune system. So what happens, they start to build abnormal cells, process some malfunction. right? And that's why the most important thing is really getting our body healing the way that it's supposed to. So if you're a guest in this room, right? Anybody anybody here a guest? Go ahead and just raise your hand. If you're a guest in this room, as a guest in here, when you come out, you, know, you become part of our family. We're here to help you. We're here to literally help you, walk you through this maximizing lifestyle so you never get cancer, okay? And so as a guest in here, we actually offer our, our our office. We actually do this full consultation. We actually check your nerve system because ultimately, who needs to get their nerve system checked? We need to. Everybody, right? Every single person on the planet needs to get their nerve system checked so that they can see exactly how well their body's healing. On top of that, we're going to look at your body fat. We're gonna really see what your disease potential is and obviously give you, you know, offer solutions and really teach you how to be healthy and well for the rest of your life, how to fine tune your program so you never get cancer, right? This is usually in our office where people come in to get a full, maximized living evaluation. It's a $400 value, okay? In this office though, this office is based on outreach. This is how we save and transform lives is through our outreach program. And so what we do is over the next two weeks, we've actually opened up our appointment spots Right? And we actually are doing this at no charge, right? No charge for this appointment, right? So to literally see how well your body is healing and functioning in the moment, we're gonna do that at no charge for you if you're a guest. Sound like a good deal? Yeah. Yep. Yes, a lot of people ask me, why are you giving it away for free, right? But here's the reality. If we can prevent heart disease and cancer, right? And we have a number of people that can share testimonials in this office who've reversed cancer, reversed heart disease, right? Then why would I hold that back, right, from anybody, right? So in this office, we're about community outreach, we're about saving lives. So we offer this opportunity for you guys to come in. So the only, the only caveat on that is this, is that in this office, we take health very seriously. Why? Because we know, the reality is this, every single day our body's either healing and building quality life and living out our potential, or we're going the opposite way, building sickness, disease, and death. I take health very, very seriously in here. And so if you do wanna get checked up, I just please ask that you take it seriously, right? We have a very busy office, right? I, I just ask that you take it seriously, um, you know, and uh, you know, we're ready to help you. We're ready to do everything in our power to help you transform your life and get to the highest level of health, okay? So if you're a guest and you want that appointment, just please raise your hands, okay? Charmaine's going to go around. She's going to get you scheduled for that. Again, only if you're really serious about getting healthy, optimizing your potential for the rest of your life, Then that appointment's for you. If you're really not serious about your health, right, then, um, you know, it's just not, it's not the right time. You can still email me, come to our workshops, you know, enjoy everything that we do, but um, if you're not serious about your health, please don't make that appointment, okay? So that's a gift for the guests. That's the best gift of the day, okay? However, I do have other gifts as well. Who likes gifts? Some of you guys do? Okay, so I got some other gifts. First off, though, this is what we're going to be going through next week, okay? We're going to talk about the P53 gene. Guys, I'm just scratching the surface, Okay? Last year I did three workshops on cancer. This week we're going to try to do it in two. Okay, but it's, it's tough to do. p53 gene, it's a cancer formation. We're going to talk about N-isothiocyanates. We're going to talk about glutathione, the body's master antioxidant. We're going to talk about critical toxins we need to avoid. Right? How to reduce exposure, detoxification strategies. So we're going to talk about all these cutting edge things. That and who needs to know this stuff? Everybody, right? So the reality is this: is that You know, knowing this information, now we're on the mission field, right? So we want to make sure we get this information out out to as many people as possible. So definitely, I I hope and I pray that you can talk to people and and bring people with you. And, uh, you know, that way we can save more lives. And that's the podcast for this week. Don't forget to check out our new website. Just log on to www.exodushc, as in healthcenter.com. See you next time.